0: Happy New, Happy New Year. I saw something on the internet yesterday. It said, or yesterday or the day before, it said, this is the last day you can say that. <laughs> I mean, it's just a nice expression. about all year long? That'd be weird. But um, <laughs> Happy New Year anyway. Glad that you're here. And... Uh, <clears throat> going with the theme of newness the new year we're all kind of thinking about new year's resolutions we're thinking about 2023 is going to be better it's going to be different um than last year and um we kind of do this every year right um start out the the year with a lot a lot of hopes and dreams and expectations and so we're gonna uh, i'm gonna share a message this morning entitled out with the old in with the new okay and um I I had an experience several years ago, I was working, I I wrote out that I was working at an organization, because I don't really want to throw a church under the bus, but I was working at a church, and I was on staff there, and we had like 16 or 17 of us on staff, right, I was the worship pastor, whoa, Um, and we would have these long meetings, these long staff meetings, and we would talk about all the new things we were going to do, all the things that we were planning coming up, how we were going to get crowds of people to come, and the events that we were going to have that year, and um, all of that stuff. And, but we had some issues in leadership, and most of us knew that. And um, so we would come out of those staff meetings a little disheartened, some of us. And I remember one week... Uh, particularly where we came out of that staff meeting talking about all these new things we're going to do and adjustments we're going to make uh, for the next month. And one of my coworkers uh, came into my office and sat down. He said, man, I feel like we're just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. And I was like, that is an awesome picture. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's like we have all these meetings and we're talking about the different things that we're going to do. But really at the foundation, at the core of the ship, there was a gaping hole and most of us knew it. And we could talk about all the events we were going to do and all the cool music we were going to do, all that stuff. But it really didn't address the real issue. Right. And that was a powerful statement. Ultimately, it wasn't good for me for a while because it really gave me a bad attitude for the rest of those staff meetings. But I got through that, I talked through it, and eventually uh, we worked through all that. But it taught me a lesson. You know what? In that, I realized, you know what? I don't want to go through life shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. I don't want to just go through life shuffling furniture around. And on the new year, as we come to this new year, I don't want to just shuffle furniture around in my life. I know you don't either. And a lot of times with these resolutions that we come up with and we put in place, that's really kind of what we're doing. We never want to address the real foundational things in our lives because it's easier just to kind of make these small adjustments. And yet there's still still a gaping hole and still we're headed for that. You remember the scene in that movie where Rose is on that door and she said Jack wouldn't fit, but I still believe he would have. But I have this haunting feeling that that's where we're headed if we don't ever address what's really going on in our lives. What really is preventing real change in my life, real newness in my life. And so I submit to you this morning that what most of us need is, is not to just rearrange stuff in our lives, not to just give it a better, better shot, just to tweak here and there um, to try harder, but what we need is out with the old and in with the new at the most foundational levels in our hearts and lives. Um, When I think about this new life, when I think about this transformation kind of that I'm talking about, I think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament uh, who wrote so many of the New Testament books and letters. Um, And I want us to look at Philippians this morning in chapter 3, a New Testament book that Paul uh, wrote to the church at Philippi to the Christians there uh, in Philippi, which is a city was a city in Greece. And at this time, when he wrote this letter, it was it was occupied by Rome. It had become a Roman colony uh, at this time. And uh, it's the late 60s after the death of Christ. And Paul is writing this letter from prison, even. And interesting enough, he's writing to encourage the Christians. Here in the church at Philippi, encourage them in their faith in Christ to stand strong, to keep the faith, even as he's in shackles because of his faith. And so we're going to look at chapter three uh, this morning of this letter. Um, and in just in, to keep it in context, Paul is, is, is writing the church at Philippi And in chapters one and two. He's covered a few things. He, he's t- he told them in chapter one that although that he's been although he's been put in chains, right, although he's in prison, He believes it's working out for the best. It's working out for the best for the gospel and for his walk with Christ. He's developed a reputation in the prison there that he's in among the guards and among other inmates. They know that guy, Paul, in that that cell over there, he's a Christ follower. And so uh, he's seen many of them put their faith in Jesus as well because they've seen his faith in the most difficult of times. And they're like, this is different. This is different than the religion I've been taught. This is different than what we've seen in the culture. And so Paul is writing in chapters 1 and chapter 2 to stand strong in their faith. Um, He says, um, he he encourages them to live their lives with humility, with grace to those around them, uh, to show Jesus in the way that they treat each other. Uh, He continues the theme of living in such a way that demonstrates Christ with humility and love. And so we pick up in chapter 3, and I want to begin in verse 1. I told uh, Alex a little bit earlier today, I'm, I, I'm doing this one a little bit different, this message. I have a certain way that I go through my notes and prepare, and so this is totally different. So if I end up in left field, you know, it's, that's why. I'm trying to free myself up from notes a little bit. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to start in, ch- in chapter 3 and verse 1. We're going to walk through 14 verses in chapter 3. And the, the the verses will be up on the screen. You can look on your device or your, your uh, book, if you want, uh, the scriptures. And let me encourage you to do that if you haven't. Um, and we're just going to walk through a few verses at a time, and I'll stop and kind of uh, expound on those verses, and we'll, we'll work our way through the, the passage that way, okay? So let me pray uh, for us, and then we'll begin in verse 1. Lord God, be glorified this morning. God, none of my wit, uh, none of my... Um, personality, none of that matters, none of that will give us an eternal change in our hearts and lives, none of that will have eternal impact, but God, if you would speak through your spirit, through your word, and through your servant, God, we can be new today, and so Lord, we, we ask you to speak this morning and help us to be here uh, not just hearers, but doers as well. Lord, may we open our hearts, let our defenses down, Lord God, and allow you to move in our hearts in a powerful way, Lord, like we know you can do. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. But look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's stop right there. See, Paul is also writing this letter to encourage their faith, but also because he's heard there's an issue going on in the church there at Philippi. There are those who have come into the church and began to teach um, that you had to be circumcised physically to have a relationship with god they're they're often referred to to as judaizers they wanted to take uh, what they knew uh, as the jewish people and their heritage and their culture and the law and those things and apply them to this new testament church but the thing is jesus has come he's fulfilled the law he's fulfilled all the old testament requirements on his in his life and on the cross and in the empty tomb he's fulfilled all that and so he's broken those chains. We no longer have to, to try and fulfill the law on our own. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. But there's an issue going in the church, and some people are saying, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus, but also you have to do this. Also, you have to have a little religion in there, too. You have to, you have to do A, B, C, and D. Um, they've taken the message of grace and faith and have gone back to teaching that circumcision and religious Uh, works were necessary to have a relationship with God um, and the way in which you had peace with God. Now listen, there will always be those people, right? There will always be those people because it feels good to a certain degree. I know that's weird talking about circumcision, but what I'm talking about is to do religious duties, right to do religious activities to show up at church listen we come to church we walk out of church we're like yes i got my church in i didn't know if i was gonna make it but i got there you know so now i feel good i i checked that off my box i did good and it's great it's fantastic i love that you're here and i love to be here we encourage one another in our faith that's why we come but it's not earning our way to god that's not how we have a personal relationship with him and I think that's what's happened in so in, in so much of our culture and so much of our world and people's perception of Christians. Because many Christians have added a bunch of religion, a, run, a bunch of other requirements to have a relationship with God, to have peace with God. And that's not what... It's all about. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, listen, I've heard there's been people that have come in and they're trying to to preach that you have to obey the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all these things. And he's like, he, he takes it personally. He calls them dogs. That's what he said. And he says in verse three, that Christ came so that by faith, that circumcision, that act of obedience, that act of faith was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. He accomplished that. And so it's faith that makes our hearts circumcised. See, like we've done with so many other things, we've taken religion, we've taken some things um, that God has even said, even out of his word, and we've, uh, we've twisted it to fit our own, um, our own purposes, and God was like, circumcision, the law, all those things was never meant to give you self-righteousness or piety over other people or to be judgmental. It was meant to bring you to the Father, to your Creator, to open your eyes that there is a God and He loves me and He wants a relationship with me. And so Jesus did that on the cross. He fulfilled all of that on the cross. And that's why He says um, that we, uh, let's see, He said, for the, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He said, the way that we please God is by faith, is that my heart is God's. I put my faith in him, my trust in him. I'm no longer trying to prove myself or earn my way with religion or anything else. And we can have confidence that that new life is pleasing to God, that way of life, that faith It's by a circumcised heart. But he goes on in verse 4 and he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's like, don't let them trick you. They're trying to tell you that you need to do all this in the flesh. And and that's not true. Because trust me, if it was true, I'd be the king. He says, "I I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more Sir goes through his resume here, "Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Je- Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Whoa. As to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." See, Paul goes on here to emphasize the fact that if it was by flesh, I've done all those things. I, I'm an influencer. I, uh, I was, I'm an important guy in the church. I know he didn't use it. They they didn't use the word influencer back then, but for his day and age and for that culture, Paul had quite the resume, right? He was at the top of his game, top of his best in his field. He had every reason to boast in the flesh. Hebrew of Hebrews, see, and all the the things that um, the Jewish culture, the people of Israel, the religious, uh, all the requirements they had, he had checked all those boxes. He was was a powerful leader in the church. He had respect from his peers. He had fear from the people. And he also had a pretty vicious reputation when it came to the church. Remember the stoning of Stephen. We saw in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it said... um, also, Saul breathing, which is Paul, breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Christ and with violence dragging them to prison. That was Paul. And at the stoning of Stephen, everyone came and laid their cloaks at his feet, remember? Because he was, he was the boss man. In Acts chapter 9, his reputation went before him. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, talking about Paul, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Paul was serious about persecuting the church. He'd been checking off his New Year's resolutions one by one. Church and religion, check. Respect and reputation, check. Career, check. Christians dead, check. That's what he was all about. That's what was important to him. And in his culture, in his day, that got him respect. But See, in these first six verses, Paul is saying, Look, there's going to be a lot of people that try to tell you it's about religion. They're going to try and tell you that you aren't enough. They're going to try and tell you you need to to do this or or this, XYZ, for God to love you. And Paul takes that very personally because he's been there. Paul knows that the result of that, that self righteousness, is not peace. It's not a walk with God, but it's tempting. Listen, I grew up in church. I've had plenty of religion in my life and it doesn't last when it comes about, when it, when it becomes about paying my alms or doing my duty or my penance, when it comes, comes to doing, going through the motions in church, stand up, sit down, stand up, say this, say that it's empty. And we all know that Paul is saying, I did all of that and I was the best at it and it was useless here's the thing this morning if you're looking to do better this year to be more religious maybe get some more religion in your life go to church more often although I want you here because we gather together to encourage one another like I said but coming here is not a part of a checklist it's something else we're going to talk about here in a second and here's the thing why does this bother Paul so much Why does God reject our good works and our self-righteousness? It's because God created you and me for a relationship with Him. And listen, that is weird in the world today. That's weird because it feels good. It's it's more comfortable to just kind of do our thing, check the box, and, and move on with life. When you start talking about having this relationship with God, about Him knowing me and me knowing Him and me growing in my understanding of His will and walking. That, that's, that's all weird to the world. But that's exactly what God created us for, to love Him and to be loved by Him, to experience that. He goes on in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is saying here, out with that, out with the old, all that I was holding on to for life, I have to release my grip on. I let go of it because I can't have what really matters in life gripping so tightly to these temporary things, keeping control for myself. I can't hold on to what God has for me and, 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 and to Christ when I've got deck chairs in my hand all the time. You can have anything in life if you will sacrifice everything else for it. You know who said that? Peter Pan. <laughs> but there's some truth there. We can have anything in life. We can have a walk with God Almighty through Jesus Christ if we will let go of everything else. We're much more comfortable with religion and ceremonies. But God's called us to walk with him, to have a meaningful relationship with him. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, I've done all the other things. I've tried. I've done religion. I've done all that. And I count it as rubbish. It's like garbage. It's useless. And somewhere we all know that too. I heard a comedian recently uh, on TV and he was saying, he was setting up a joke. But at the beginning of the joke, he said, you know how you're going along and all of a sudden you feel that? that emptiness inside that we all have and it's just like this is life is meaningless and oh man we're all headed for destruction Uh, he goes then you pick up your phone and you distract yourself and you try and text somebody or look at a tiktok or whatever he's like we try to distract ourselves because there's something in us that knows like this is meaningless but it's not but here's the thing god will not pry your hands off of your life he calls and he calls for us to respond It's called faith. It's saying, you know what, God? I do not have faith in the things that I can control, in my decisions, in my ability to to plot out this new year or this next day and and prioritize my things and get myself better into a better. I, I don't trust in me, God. I trust in you. I need you to lead my life. It's a life of faith. I was in the Air Force years ago and I worked on. I was a mechanic on uh, airplanes, and there was one, I used to get in a launch truck, they called it, right before trucks, uh, airplanes would take off, they would taxi out and, uh, to go on a mission, and we would be in a truck. Somebody from each shop would be in that truck, and so I was an electrical environmental specialist, so I worked on all the electricity and all that stuff, and so when they would fire up the jet, there was a checklist that the pilot had to go through to get control from the ground equipment to the airplane itself, the aircraft. And so if you didn't do it just right on the checklist, it wouldn't, it would just stay controlled. You'd stay on ground power. You wouldn't convert to the aircraft power. And there was this one time where um, the the, the Colonel called me over there and he was having a hard time getting through and you have to be very careful because you don't want to offend him because he's a Colonel and I'm just an airman. Um, but I would talk him through that list. And here's the thing. This is what it always came down to every time. He would tell me, <clears throat> my AC generator, the power won't take over. The, the jet, something's wrong with the generator. And I said, okay, sir, let's just walk through it. Every time we went through the checklist, it worked. He said, what happened? Well, what happens is you can turn on the power, but if you don't turn off the external power, if you don't shut off the ground power, where you're getting that source of power from, then the jet won't take over. It stays on there. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to flip that switch off because all his mission information, everything was loaded on that computer and he was afraid to lose it. And I said, sir, if you don't turn that off, you will not take, the jet will not take over. You'll not have power on the airframe. And that's the thing with our lives. We can't try to just have God as part of our new year. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It can't just be a resolution. God wants our lives. He wants us to let go of our lives and say, And say, God, I don't even know what that means. But I know I want you in charge of my life. That's faith. It's not, it's not, we don't figure it all out. We come to him by faith. We say, God, I let go. I realize that I don't have the answers. And I trust in you. And that's what Paul did. He said, man, I had it all. I had prestige, power, everything. And I let go of that because I realized it's garbage compared to knowing my creator knowing why I was created, having peace that passes understanding. And he goes on in verse 10 and says, He's let go of it all. Verse 10, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. At the beginning of that, in verse 10, he uses the word that that introduces what they, what's called a purpose clause, right? Meaning all of this, all that he's been speaking about, all that he's been writing about is essentially for this purpose, what he's gonna say next. He's saying, I want real life. I want life to the fullest possible degree. I want to know God. I wanna have purpose and meaning in my life. Even though I'm broken, even though I'm historically off base and I make bad decisions, From now until I die and then into eternity, I want peace, the peace of Christ. I want to know Christ. He tells us here, from his prison cell, in shackles, in chains, he writes emphatically and confidently, I have found it in Jesus. And he says in verse 10 and 11 what it means to find it in Christ, right? He says in verse 10, that I may know him. So that's first and foremost. He wants to know Christ <clears throat> and the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? The power of his resurrection. What Paul is saying is I want to know Christ. I want to know what it means to be set right with God, to have confidence that when God looks at me, he approves. He loves me. Now that's a that's a big deal because God is perfect and holy and I'm not. So to have God look at me and and say, well done, to say good and faithful servant, to say that he loves me, cares for me, to be justified before God is what Paul is talking about here. In another passage, in another uh, book, in Romans um, chapter four, verse 25, he says, speaking of Jesus, he says, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised The resurrection raised for our justification. Paul says, I want that. I want the confidence, the power of the resurrection. I want to know that I'm justified before God. And I know that that comes through Christ, his sacrifice, and the empty tomb. I don't want to live with the guilt of my failures, of my past mistakes, of my shame. I want to live free. That's a great resolution if you can get it, right? I want to live free from all my mistakes, all my rebellion, all my shame. It's in Christ. And then he says, he continues, and may share in his sufferings, and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that we're all called to go out and be martyrs. It means that I die to myself. As Christ died on the cross, I come to the cross, I lay my life and say, God, it's no longer my life, it's your life. I die to my own sin, my own rebellious heart. I lay it on the altar and I say, God, I come to you, I come to Christ. All my hopes, all my dreams, crucified with Christ, all my desires, because I know that Christ has so much more for me than I could ever plan for myself. That's what he's saying. To know him, to know his power of his resurrection, to be justified, to know, to share in his sufferings, to be like him in death. And then he says in verse 11, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the gospel here, right? Paul's desire above every other desire was to know Christ, not just about him, but to know him, to know him in such a way in which he placed his faith in Christ for life death and for eternity beyond the grave ultimately jesus said i came that you may have life and you may have it abundantly in 2023 24 every year every moment every day of your life he came that you might live it you and i to the fullest that's his desire for us sometimes we think of god as just you know with the gavel in his hand and just you know it's like a whack-a-mole just trying to crush us you know no his desire is that we live life to the fullest the reason we think that is because the stuff that we're holding on to, we don't want to let go of. We're like, How, Why would you want to take all this from me? And God's like, because you're killing yourself. That's why. He loves you. He wants you to have life. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, listen. Not that I've got all this figured out, not that I 've achieved it yet. It wasn't my performance that brought me to Christ, and it's not my performance that keeps me in his arms. Paul failed. He was far from perfect, but his desire now is different. His desires was, his desire was to know Christ more, more and more, to live for him to experience the shelter in His love, the peace that passes understanding. And that is the change every person is in need of, first and foremost, this year and every year. Interesting, in verse 12 there, he says, Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Man, that is good news. Jesus did it. Jesus changed Paul. He was a murderer. He was a bad guy. He was prideful. Jesus changed him. On the road to Damascus, he met Christ. <clears throat> Paul describes it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, and I love this passage. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is Paul speaking again. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. (laughs) Paul's like, Christ came to save sinners. I'm the chief of that. But you know what? I was shown mercy so that in my life, others might say, wow, God can save him. If God can change him, maybe he can change me. It's an example of God's goodness, his patience, his power. Now that may be the missing link for you here this morning. What changed Paul, what gave him this new desire to want to know Christ to the fullest was this transfer. The realization and acceptance of the love of Jesus. It changed him forever. And some of us this morning, some of you may be standing on the edge of a cliff, right? You're standing there. You're trying to figure it out. How do I get from here to there, to that place of peace, that place of the answer, that place of real hope? How do I get what everyone is searching for? Aren't we all standing on the cliff? And we have, If we had some support, if we broke up in some support groups here uh, this morning, everybody would be talking about that. How do, you, how do we get there? Paul says, I found it. I found him. Actually, Paul says over and over again in his writings, he found me. Now, it may be like Paul that I need to let go of my self-righteousness, my pride, right? But it also may be today that what I need to let go of is my pain, my shame, my hurt. We talked a few months ago about forgiveness, remember? That message, and we talked about God's called us to be forgiving and to forgive and how unforgiveness can be debilitating in our lives. We said forgiveness doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and that we don't protect ourselves from being hurt again. But here's the thing, my pain and my hurt, when I carry it around, when I carry it around like a cross, then I cannot hold on to Jesus. He says bring all of it, bring your shame, bring your pain, where you've been, what you've done, what you've said, all those things, bring it, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Cast your cares on him. Because otherwise we go through life living in reaction, right? My life is based on reaction, reacting to how I've been hurt. And so that that makes me set up boundaries and create things in my life and pursue things. It, It seems right, but it's not ultimately healing it's not freedom i'm being i'm being pushed in certain directions because i'm reacting to what i've been through or my own shame jesus wants to free us from all those things he says cast that on me i had my own moment with this i had my own moment when i stood on the cliff and someone told me someone shared with me that god had the missing peace. What I was missing was Christ. And I saw it in their lives. And Christ gripped my heart and I knew he was the answer. I didn't have it all figured out. I I couldn't understand every single theological aspect of it, but God gripped my heart with it. And I knew it was true. And I wanted to know more of it. More religion this year, better health or a, a different diet, working harder, looking for a new relationship, even just working on myself this year, all those things are simply rearranging the furniture. If I am not changed at the core of who I am, my purpose, my aim in life, and this is what Jesus came to do, is to give that to you, to make you his own. I encourage you this new year, if you realize there's that voice telling you that you need more spiritually, something deeper, more meaningful, and you're standing at the foot of this overwhelming mountain of religion and spirituality and self-help, etc., etc., you may be like, where do I start? The answer for every one of us is to put your faith in Christ. Let Him change you. He will change your desires. He will change you. I'm standing here living testimony of that. Verse 13, he goes on as we close. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is where Paul says, listen, I have all that in my past. Everybody knows about it. Ananias, the one who said, this guy, he was killing Christians and all these other people. None of that mattered to him. He said, I'm letting that go and I'm pursuing Christ. I want to know him more. So let me encourage you today. If you've not put your faith in him, if 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 you're seeking to find it in all these other things, stop. He's calling you. Come to me. Come in faith. Cast your cares on me. There's no earning Peace with God. And that's the interesting part with this. That relationship that you and I were created for, it's given by grace, by God. We accept that by faith. So there's no earning it, right? But then we have a choice each and every day, Christian. We have a choice every day to walk in that grace, to live life to the fullest because of the God, because the God of the universe has given us his very presence through his spirit. Or to continue to do it on my own. Listen, life is short. Did you see that? Did you see that Buffalo Bills player this past week, Hamlin? We were watching that on Monday Night Football. That was crazy. Man, we, we began to pray right then. Praying for him. Praying for his family. Everybody's talking about what caused it, how to happened. That's beside the point. We are all a heartbeat away from whatever is next. And the question is, am I prepared for that? As Paul talks about here, what lies ahead? The resurrection from the dead, what comes next? Is that that darkness? Is that that place that we're driving along? We go, oh, I'll just push that away. Let me look at my phone real quick. God doesn't want us to live in fear. doesn't want us to live in confusion. He loves us and has a plan for us forever. We don't have to fear death. Christian, what is your life? What is your focus this morning? Where are your hopes and dreams? Is your relationship with Christ just something that was a prayer years ago? Are you kind of in cruise control in your faith? Or is your passion to know Christ, to know Him more? Listen, everything in life, every situation, when I counsel someone who's going through a really difficult time or or has experienced trauma or something, I don't have answers, right? I go through those things myself as well. But one thing I know that God's word tells me is that in every circumstance, and in every situation, God wants to give me more of him. So whatever else is happening, he's calling me closer. He's calling me to to push those other things, those less uh, important things in my life to the wayside and put him first and foremost and draw near to him. I pray that will be your goal in 2023 is to know Christ more. You may be be early in the journey. You may just say, this is interesting. I want to to find out more. Stay on that journey. Pursue Christ. Scripture tells us in Jeremiah, you seek me, you will find me, God says, when you seek me with all your heart. This morning, I, I pray that You'll put your faith in Christ to make you new. And I pray your everyday solution would be to know Him more. Let's don't rearrange furniture this year. C.S. Lewis, I want to close with this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Listen, this year, this week, today, God wants you to have abundant life. And that is through Him. He's your Creator He's our sustainer. He's our Savior through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, that we can't earn our way to you. But through your grace, you call us, you draw us, and you call us to respond in faith. And God, I pray that that would be our story this morning. Lord, we would surrender Uh, to your voice to your spirit drawing us and god for those of us who have um, crossed that threshold um, that transfer that that the apostle paul had on the road to damascus when he realized that you are savior you are redeemer lord uh, for those of us who have received that by faith god may we live life to the fullest by fixing our eyes on you by seeking to love you more, to know you more, because ultimately we know that your plans are greater than our plans. Your ways are higher than our ways. And so may we press into you more and more this year, God. And Lord, may the, the people around us, those close to us, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, may they, may they be the beneficiaries of that because we are walking with Christ. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name, amen.